welcome to the Recovery Daily Podcast. I'm your host, Rachel Miller. I'm a stroke survivor and grateful recovering alcoholic. Today, I want to talk about my bottom and what it was like. And um, so I'm focusing a little more on my recovery uh, in sobriety, um, more so than my stroke today. Um, and I want to end the, the episode by talking about what an amazing day I had today. Um, and um, so, sorry, I'm hesitating because um, the best part of my day was that I got to talk to another stroke survivor that is also in uh, recovery for alcoholism as well. And um, it was, I think, for her and I, one of the most meaningful conversations that I've had in a long time, and I really needed it. And um, it was just, it was absolutely exactly, exactly what I needed uh, to talk to somebody exactly like me, who's in double recovery as well. So um, anyway, I will talk a little bit more about that later. But I wanted to talk about what it was like. Um, so this this really isn't going to be, uh, you know, an all-encompassing story about what it was like, but I want to share a little bit about it. Um, and then I'm suspecting in episodes that follow, um, things will fill in as they have been over the past episodes. So um, when... When the kids were younger, let's see. So I got sober about seven years ago, and that's when um, my son had just gone off to college and my daughter was going into her sophomore year of high school. So they were, you know, uh, pretty grown up (laughs) at that point. Um, So I drank through the extent of raising my children. And I was not abusive. I was very loving. I was a loving alcoholic. No, I, um, as far as the extent of their childhood, um, there wasn't any trouble, really. Um, I just liked to drink back then. And I drank um, every day. Um, And it wasn't until towards the last few years that I started drinking more than just after work. I had the opportunity to start working from home for a family business and It was at that point that somewhere in there, I realized, hey, wait a minute, I'm home. I can drink before five o'clock. It used to be, um, it's, you know, 
It used to be after I logged off work. And it, I, I don't know what happened there. It just, uh, I think I just started drinking more and more and more. Um, and so I started drinking earlier and earlier. So I would start drinking at three and then I would start drinking at one and then I would start drinking at least noon. Don't drink before noon, I thought. Um, and eventually I was drinking um, when I woke up. And then it wasn't long after that that I had to have alcohol beside my bed um, uh, so that when I woke up in the middle of the night, I would take a drink. I had extreme anxiety issues. And so my anxiety issues mixed with withdrawal were a ticking time bomb. Um, I was shaking from anxiety and I was shaking from withdrawal. So I really couldn't tell the difference at that point. Um, so it got, so this, this time period where, and this was a couple years that this was happening, um, that I was drinking 24 seven, um, I had to continue to drink the alcohol because it's like, um, without the drink, um, I was all my anxiety and my withdrawal would come out, but because of the drink, all my anxiety and, and withdrawal would come out. So, um, I was just setting myself up for failure before that time. Um, my house was the house where all the neighborhood kids came to, you know, we had the parties, we had the keggers, uh, we had the Halloween parties that were super fun. And, um, it was just, it was where the fun was. And, and probably because I acted like a kid, you know, and my, I, my kids never seemed to be embarrassed of me or anything. They, they just, uh, we all had fun together. Um, I, there was one, well, there were several parties where I decided to uh, jump into the neighborhood lake. We lived on a golf course out in Charlestown. So um, I was the first one to jump in that lake and swim to the fountain and that happened several times at several parties. And there was one in particular, the last time I did it, I remember being out in the middle of the lake and I was between, I was at the halfway point between the fountain and the shore. And I remember thinking for a split second, this was a bad idea. I can't swim. Like, I, I remember thinking I've got to get back to the shore immediately. So um, that memory always scares me. Uh, that's all I remember of that memory. I just remember feeling like I couldn't swim anymore and I needed to get back to shore. So um, during this time that I started... Uh, drinking in the morning, I thought it was just a hoot, you know, I would get to get up, 
drink in the morning, like on the weekends, we'll say, um, aside from when I was supposed to be working full time. But on the weekends, when I would drink in the morning, it was like an opportunity to get hammered and pass out and then get hammered again so that I got to party twice in one day. Um, I laugh at it, not because it's funny, but because it's ridiculous. Uh, you know, it's, it's the insanity that I was dealing with. Um, and of course there was drinking and driving involved. Um, you know, I'm, I'm lucky and very grateful that I didn't end up, uh, killing myself or killing somebody else in the process of all of this. Um, it did, uh, escalate so that when I had to travel, so I worked from home and, um, worked for a family business. And so every quarter I had to drive, uh, fly out to the West coast and, um, it escalated to the point where I was, um, just hammered by the time I would get to my brother's uh, house in or the airport at in Reno. And there was one time he was waiting for me outside of the airport. And I had landed and was sitting at a bar and drinking more. And I remember him being really, really pissed off at me when I got out of the airport. And we had to go you know, I had already been through most of the day because I was going from the west, from the east coast to the west coast. So I had already been awake for hours and hours. Well, whenever I went there, I was required to go to work. Um, so this particular day, though, it was a weekend day, like a Saturday or a Sunday. So I think that's why I took advantage of it and drank even more on the airplane. Um, anyway, it, it did not go over very well when I got over to the West Coast. Um, so I missed flights home, back to my kids. Um, I would oversleep and get in late to work when I was on the West, you know, on the West Coast. I'm there specifically to work, and I'm, like, rolling into work, like, two hours late. It was terrible. It was absolutely terrible. And that that feeling, I, I you know, it gets me so spun up when I even think about it, that feeling of, like, just everything. I couldn't manage my life. Like, I couldn't keep up with with ordinary life because I was trying to fit all of my drinking in and it was so stressful it was so stressful it was the most difficult way of living and um and I try it's it's one of those things it's it's always good to revisit what it was like. Um, and that's why we go to these meetings um, every day. I go to a meeting every morning um, to talk about what it was like, because sometimes when we're going through hard times, 
in the present day, we think that drinking is a good idea, and it's never a good idea. So remembering these types of things um, reminds us that that it's not an option. Picking up a drink is not an option. It's the harder way of living. Um, and there's so often that I'm sitting in meetings and, and I have this memory bubble of something that happened when I was drinking. And the more that I share about my experience, the more, uh, of my experience that I remember, you know, I feel very much like, and I say this all the time, I lived the first half of my life drunk. And I'm so grateful to have made it to the second half so that I can live it sober. Um, So many examples, you know, I remember uh, going to baseball games when my son was really little and I would fill up a water bottle with wine um, to get through the, the game. And one day, it was just the day. I don't even know if it was noon yet. And I remember driving home from that game. And I was driving super fast. I was in that like, oh, I had some drinks and I'm all happy and stuff. And I was driving too fast. And I almost ran into a tree like my car was sliding off of the road when I took a corner. And um, just so many of these almost but didn't happen. You know, they're my not yet. That's what I call them. Um, If I were to drink again, my not yet might happen. And so um, I try to remember that as well, the things that were close calls that didn't happen. I'm so grateful also that in all the drinking that I did, there was never a situation where anybody in my life was in danger so that I couldn't drive them to the hospital or something like that. You know, there's so many scary things thoughts that come to mind now, now that it's, uh, it's a part of my past. Um, so again, it's, it's important to, to take time and, and think about it and talk about it. So towards the end of this time, when, when I was drinking all day long, 24-7, the only time I did not have alcohol in my body was one day when I did uh, the Avon walk. That, that was only because, and I, I think that was in my episode yesterday, um, we were required to camp for a camp overnight after the first night. So there was no way to drink at this campsite. So that's the only night I remember not being able to have alcohol. Um, And so there were times when uh, I would wake up in the morning, you know, after probably having slept maybe 
three hours, four hours. And I was just like dry heaving, dry heaving. And I would uh, try to throw up because I had so much acid in my stomach. And, and remember, I wasn't eating either. I was very underweight. So I didn't have anything absorbing any of that alcohol or anything. And so I would wake up and throw up until, uh, until with wine next to me, mind you, until I could take another drink without it coming back up. And then I was off to the races again for the next day. So, um, you know, I always thought that alcoholics were those people that live under bridges or, or live in a tent because they can't afford a house, um, you know, live in a tent in the woods. But alcoholics look like normal people. <laughs> I think I look normal. <laughs> um, they come in all shapes and sizes. And mind you, in my fellowship of sobriety, I sit next to and have great times with some of those people that did live in a tent and did live under a bridge. And they're pretty amazing people. Um, once you take the alcohol away, then they have hope. And hope can do a lot for somebody's life. Um, so during this time of not really being able to function, you know, I got to the point where my body was requiring alcohol in order to function. And this, um, this book that I have is called Under the Influence. This is a book that I read because I wanted to understand the disease and what it does to, uh, an alcoholic's body. I, I couldn't get past the idea that it was not my willpower, you know, like I didn't have any willpower and that was the problem. I couldn't get past that. And I think that's because nobody around me understood alcoholism either. So everybody kept saying to me, just stop. Rachel, just stop. And I couldn't. I couldn't stop. Um, and as much as anybody who has any kind of chemical imbalance or, you know, diabetes or any of these things that we have to treat ourselves with, with medication, you know, our body needs that chemical, whatever it is, that is what my body thought it needed was alcohol. And um, this book, Under the Influence, talks about that, how our bodies get to the point where our cells believe that they need alcohol in order to function. It's really, um, it's a boring read, but uh, if you are an alcoholic or you have a loved one who's an alcoholic and you want to understand 
the the idea that that it's a disease, that it's not somebody's willpower. Uh, the book Under the Influence, that's the third time I've said it. I just want to make sure everybody's heard that it's Under the Influence um, is a really great read for people um, who want to understand the disease. During this time, I was also hiding all of my alcohol. So I got to the point where uh, I started going to uh, fellowship meetings for people recovering from alcoholism. And so at that point, other people knew that I had a drinking problem. So then I felt like I needed to hide it. Um, people started, you know, Rachel, you need to stop. I think my brother told me you're going to die if you keep drinking. And I was like, I'm not going to die. Well, I was going to die. He was absolutely right. I was going to die. And there are other people who drank just like me who today are dead I stopped and they didn't. I took the path of sobriety and they didn't. And I am still alive and they are not. I was absolutely going to die. It's, it's, it's baffling. It's cunning and baffling. It's powerful, the disease of alcoholism. So I was hiding my alcohol um, anywhere I could find a place to hide it. I was, uh, I was hiding it under the driver's seat of my car. I was hiding it in my, you know, the knee high boots ever so stylish. Well, when I would take off those boots, when I came home from work at night, I would fill them with those little boxes of wine that you can buy from 7-Eleven. Um, and I think I could fit like three in there. So when I got home from work after driving the whole way home drinking those and then hiding them under the seat of my car, I would um, then somehow get three more into the house and I would swig those in the bathroom while I was changing when I got home from work and then I would put the empties inside my boots for work and I just thought you know I also was hiding them under the sink in the bathroom I was hiding them uh, over the like the top of my closet and I actually, at one point, had an entire box of wine hidden in the back of my closet so that whenever I went into my closet, I would take a swig of that, um, fill up a glass. I think I'd take like a water glass up there, pour the water out, and then fill the glass with wine and swig it really fast. And I remember being in my closet and I had the lights off in my closet, but around the corner I had the lights on in the hallway. This was all strategically done so that if anyone was coming around the corner, I could see their shadow approaching me from 
the the hall light approaching me. It's it's crazy. It's it's absolutely crazy. Um so when I was moving out of that house that I was in during all of that time, um I was packing up my closet. You can um, like I thought I had thrown away all the all the empties, but I mean there must have been dozens and dozens of empty beer bottles and little wine boxes all throughout my closet because at one point I pulled some stuff from the top shelf and all these beer bottles just fell on top of me from the top of the closet. Uh, wow. There was one time I remember specifically sitting on the couch watching TV. This was a really difficult thing to do after I quit drinking. Um, after I, after I was acting like I quit drinking. There we go. Um, and that was to watch TV without drinking wine. I was so used to always having a glass of wine in my hand that to not have it in my hand, I felt naked. I felt like I needed to be holding on to something. Um, but specifically watching TV in the evening, I correlated that experience with drinking for so many years for so many years. I mean, from when, gosh, from when I was in high school, I would, uh, I, I would drink and watch TV in the evening. And so, um, doing some of these things once I wasn't supposed to be drinking anymore was terribly uncomfortable, terribly uncomfortable. So, um, there was a point where I signed myself up for a detox facility called CATS, um, through Innova. And so I went off for this program and, uh, my mom drove, you know what? I think my boyfriend boyfriend drove me. I don't know who drove me because I was drunk. So I have no idea. I remember my boyfriend sitting next to me when I was supposed to be checking in. And that's about all I, I remember. Um, I remember the, the nurse at the facility asking me when I had my last drink. And I told him I was hammered and I laughed. So I can imagine how terrible that was. Um, but I wouldn't know because I wasn't really present at the time. And after, I think, the first day when I sobered up, I had to walk on a walker for the following three days, I think, because I was going through such bad withdrawal that I couldn't walk. And I remember my daughter coming to visit me with my boyfriend, and I had to use the walker to come meet them out in the room 
to talk to them. Um, just really sad, you know, I feel really bad for that woman, me, that woman who didn't understand what was happening to her, was so sick that she wasn't able to even help herself. And I talked about that in another episode. It's, it's mind boggling to me that there are alcoholics at all who save themselves, who get help on their own, because the very disease that is killing them is the is the one that's keeping them from knowing that they have it. So it's really, um, you know, all the planets aligned somehow. Somehow I'm here. I don't know why, but I certainly feel very much inclined to share my experience, strength, and hope with others because if I can plant a single seed to help another person end up like me, then I'm going to do it. And this is a, this is, you know, another way to, to share my experiences through this podcast. So even after that experience at detox, I still uh, did not remain sober. I started drinking again after a couple months. I, I tried really hard to think about this one day at a time thing. And I just, I couldn't, I, all I could think about was there's no way I can do this for the rest of my life. There's no way I, and so I thought, well, if I'm not going to stay sober, I might as well drink today. So I started drinking and I drank again for another eight months. At that point, um, I was lying and hiding everything from everybody again. And, uh, and I did reach out to somebody at work and told him that I was sick and I was an alcoholic and I needed help. And uh, he did the things that I, I think, I, I don't know how he knew the right thing to do, but... Um, and maybe it wasn't the right thing to do. I, I don't know. But he um, he helped me. And to this day, I still give him um, one of my chips every year because I'm eternally grateful for him getting uncomfortable and finding help for me. Because I don't think I would be here today. I know I wouldn't be here today if I didn't have the support from the people around me who didn't ignore my problem and leaned into helping me instead of turning the other way. So my daughter is also one that told me after my eight months of relapse that it was okay for me to try again. So one night I was in my bedroom and I was drunk and I had been drunk uh, 
uh, who knows, 24 hours a, a day, uh, every day. And I was sitting there and I thought, I need help. And um, I'm not, I've never been confident in my faith and religion or anything like that. But that night I said, God, I need help. And I got up and I went into the bathroom and I looked at myself in the mirror and I just, I was an empty shell. I, there was no life in my eyes. And I whispered to myself in the mirror, you're already dead. And then I got um, online and I called uh, the Anova Cats facility again and scheduled myself a bed. And they had one right away. So I went back in and the second time I, I took all the suggestions that were given to me. The first time around, I've shared this previously, I picked and chose the things that I was going to take, the suggestions that I was going to take. And the second time around, I turned my wanter off. I turned my thinker off. And I did whatever they said. Um, go see a therapist, done. I went to see a therapist for two years. Um, get a sponsor, done. I did that. Um, go to Alcoholics Anonymous, done. Um, you know, all, all of the things that were suggested, I did it. And today, I still do everything that is suggested to me in um, the face of my recovery because it works for me. And um, if I leave it up to my own thinking, I'll be back out there again. I'll be back I, I'll be back staring at that that woman in the mirror again with the empty eyes. And, um, and she's scary. I don't want to see her ever again. So I think I'll end there. Um, but I do want to there's see there's a reason why I wanted to end this with how good of a day I had because that was a pretty big downer. <laughs> I, I, uh, I hope you got through it. Um, and, and not if not anything else, gained some sort of value from my experience. That's the only reason I'm sharing it. It's not to be like, oh, look at me. Look what I did. Um, yeah, I sucked. Oh, I was a total drunk. Yeah, I partied all the time. Like, there's nothing cool about it. I'm talking about it because I wanted to help somebody. And there are lots of people... Um, you know, who, who have to go in and out a lot more than me. Um, you know, I, I only went to detox twice and some people only have to go once and that's awesome. But there are some people who go, uh, a dozen times and I don't know why it sticks for some people and other people it doesn't, but I just continue to try to to 
practice what I know and, and put everything I have into it so that I can continue to, um, to seek joy in my life. So today was a good day, and this is why. I already shared um, the biggest thing that happened to me today was I reconnected with another stroke survivor who is also a recovering alcoholic, and um, she's my sister. And when we had a stroke about the same time, and although we have different symptoms that we're experiencing, we got to talk today about what it's like to be a stroke survivor and the acceptance, the process of grieving, like what I talked about the other day, the process of denial and, um, and you know, anger and, and acceptance, but also to have to process these these stages of grieving and acceptance as an alcoholic is an extraordinary feat. It really is. It's extraordinary. And to have somebody exactly like me um, that I can talk to there is nothing, there is nothing as valuable as that. And so I'm so grateful that she reached out to me today. And she had no idea that I had gone back into short-term disability and that I had uh, regressed back into a lot of the, uh, well, all of the symptoms that I had when I first had my stroke. She had no idea So um, I caught her up on all of that and just uh, told her that, you know, this is the type of stuff that happens when you're sober. You you suit up and you show up and you're given um, blessings and things that, that you wouldn't see if you were drinking. So I'm really grateful for her. And if you're listening, I love you. So uh, today I also uh, worked on sewing my, um, I have a shirt, a project where I have taken apart a bunch of uh, Goodwill donation clothes and put them back together and made a new shirt. I am not a sewer, but I am becoming one. So I'm working on finishing that up. Um, And then I had a talk with my boyfriend about how I'm a multitasker. So typically I'll listen to my audio book while I'm sewing or I'll take the, you know, take the dogs out back to swim in the little tiny baby pool while I listen to my book, or I'll do like a couple things at a time. And so he reminded me that I have time is not something that I am lacking. So it might be beneficial to help me slow down to do one thing at a time. So that's what I focused on doing today, one thing at a time. 
and I had uh, I had like a, an agenda for myself, and that really uh, made me feel good. It made me feel like I wasn't just just drifting through my day, you know. So I'm proud to say that I took the dogs a block over to the elementary school so that they could play. So I walked all the way over there and did not feel really terrible or nauseous for that walk. So that's great. I did follow that up with a three-hour nap. And then because of my podcast episode yesterday, I decided this girl needs some vitamin D and serotonin. So I laid out in the sun for a while, and that's when I listened to my book. So it was a really good day, and so I'm going to try to do something similar tomorrow. Just try to do one thing at a time and, um, and continue to, to not do things that hurt my head because I think that's where the solution is, is to just, um, you know do the things that I can do and be grateful for those things that I can do. So thank you for listening and I will talk to you tomorrow. Bye.